With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You didn't really realize how chaotic it was, how potentially dangerous it was, how unusual it was, until you were able to get away and relive it. Now, to this day, I think I've maybe looked at that video twice. And you don't need to look at it to understand how it was. But at the time, the whole thing, from the time that the hard foul started thing until the time the game was not canceled, but just stopped, I think there were 30 or 40 seconds left in the game. It wasn't that long. Really appreciate you checking us out here on If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. My guest is coming up in just a moment. We've got the Q&A thanks to Crowd Ultra and my rant today. Final podcast of June. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Where the hell does the time go? Hey, New Works Plumbing. want to say thank you to them for sponsoring my podcast. And just two days ago, I received another message on my Instagram account, and it said, Grant, love the podcast and just wanted to say I used New Works Plumbing for the first time. They were great. Thanks for the recommendation. Go Cowboys. Now, let me tell you something. If I can get a freaking Cowboys fan to take my recommendation, then we know that New Works Plumbing is really good. Hey, man, I really appreciate the uh, message. Thank you very much. I love talking about New Works Plumbing. Uh, They are awesome. They are locally owned and have been for over 20 years in Sacramento. And it really doesn't matter whether your uh, issue is a small one, whether you have a large repair, whatever the case may be, New Works Plumbing has a fix for you. So check them out. Just go online, newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast has been the longtime voice of the Indiana Pacers. He started back in 1988. He has won multiple Indiana Sportscaster of the Year awards. He's a household name in that market. Uh, Love talking about his career and everything that he has experienced. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Mark Boyle. Mark, how are you? I am well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, you know, I, I hate to start off conversations on a down note, but we talk about a celebration of life, which you had at, uh, you know, the, the facility this year, a guy that you were unbelievably close to, a household name for those that are listening in other parts of the country did not realize how much Bobby Slick Leonard meant to Indiana. He was truly an institution there, wasn't he? Oh, for sure. And it goes back before his time with the Pacers. He grew up here. He's a high school star in a town south of Indianapolis called Terre Haute. Uh, he then was on a national championship team at Indiana University. So his 
basketball credentials in this state were well established long before he got to the Pacers. And then I think more people are familiar with his success as a coach, three ABA championships. And then he joined the Pacers as a broadcaster before I came. He was doing television in the mid eighties and he and I got together in the mid nineties. We were together for over 25 years and it goes beyond that, Grant. He and Nancy staged a telethon. Nancy's his wife. And they staged a telethon back in the early 80s that literally saved the Pacers. They were about to go under. This was before the Simons bought the team. They staged a telethon to raise enough money and season ticket revenue to save the Pacers. And then we all talk about how had that not happened, how Indianapolis might be different. You came into the NBA the same year I did. And so you remember. I know, coming to Indianapolis back in the early 80s and late 90s when it was not exactly a ghost town, but it was sure. not what it is now. It's a vibrant downtown now. They have Final Fours here. They've had the Super Bowl here. They're going to have the National College Football Championship game here eventually. They've had all kinds of big events here, and we all wonder, had the Pacers folded back then, would the Colts have come, and would any of that other stuff happen? So uh, the reverence for Slick here is beyond his accomplishments in basketball and it's also about he and his family's efforts and success in helping to revitalize the entire town of Indianapolis. What did he mean to you? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. I think any of us who get to be old enough and if we're introspective and wise, we look back and realize how lucky we are, uh, how fortunate we are, how our careers take twists and turns based on things that are well beyond our control. Uh, and the reason I mention that is because when Slick and I were partnered together, uh, our first full-time season together was 94-95. We'd worked a couple playoff series together before that, and I knew him because he's around the franchise. So by then, I'd known him for nearly 10 years, and I loved the guy. Uh, and I was, on one hand, looking forward to working with him, but I was still young and more full of myself than I am now. And there was a part of me, Grant, that wondered if he would drag me down and if I would have to carry him. And now all these years later, I realized that he carried me as much mm. as anything. And uh, our professional association was without doubt the most impactful of my career. And beyond that, our personal relationship was just so special. I look back to that early time when we were first together and I think about the thoughts I had at that time and I just shake my head at how ignorant I was. You were talking about Indianapolis and you referred to it, you know, as a ghost town. And I don't know if I would go that far and you, you didn't either, but you were just trying to make a comparison and you were talking about where Indianapolis is now. Can you imagine if somebody had come up to you then and said, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a Super Bowl played in this city someday. That person would have been locked up and put in the loony bin. I yeah. mean, what really what's happened to that city is remarkable to me. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal destination now. Well, the people of influence here have done a great job in that area. They understood the importance of downtown, and they were able to get the NCAA to relocate here, which led to Final Fours, and then the Colts with a new stadium, which led to a Super Bowl. And the downtown is ideally laid out for these events. You can literally walk from Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play, to our field house, a Banker's Life field house, to the place where the AAA baseball team plays, you can walk to all of those places within 15 minutes. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of hotels and restaurants in close proximity to all of these places. It's just ideally laid out for big events. And even before all of this, Indianapolis was a major town for gatherings outside of sports, conventions and the like. And once the movers and shakers, the mayors over the years, uh, the politicians, 
the businessmen, the people that had influence and had money and had the contacts to make it happen. Once they focused on things like this and realized how important they are and were, uh, and then they went to work making these things happen. And the one thing I will say about Indianapolis and the way these things unfold, Grant, is this. I've lived in several different cities, although I've been here for a long time. You might be able to say that City A does something better than Indianapolis or City B, and you would probably be able to make your case with a great deal of clarity. But I will tell you something. I can't imagine any city running major events any better than this one does. Anybody that comes here for these big events always talks about how well they're run, how user-friendly they are. The geography is part of that with the hotels and everything and the restaurants so close together and easily accessible. But it's more than that. They go out of their way to make this a friendly place for people that come in from out of town. And they have done over the years, I've been here for 33, they've done it over that period of time to a degree that I never would have imagined was even possible. Well, I was there for the Super Bowl, myself and my two boys. Uh, I had done a game the night before in Sacramento, and so we took the red eye through Dallas. And I will tell you, from the second that we walked off the airplane at the airport in Indianapolis until the minute that we left, I could not believe how hospitable, how nice, how incredible of an experience that was for me and my kids, not even talking about the game, but the setup around town. Um, you are right. Uh, I And I really, at the end of that experience, I said, and I still to this day say this, Mark, I think Indianapolis should be part of the Super Bowl rotation. That's how amazing of a job that city did, that event. Well, the only, the only negative would be, and it wasn't the year you went, as you'll remember, the weather can be a little dicey that time of year. It was beautiful that week. Yes, it was. Uh, as nice as I can, re- as nice as I can remember at that time of the year, any time since I've been here. So that was fortuitous. You can't expect that every year. So that would be a negative. But other than that, mm. the story you just told of your experience is like the 173rd time I've heard some variation of that story relating to the Super Bowl or the Final Four. We've had an NBA Finals here. All of the events that have happened here, almost without exception, people walk away wondering, how did they do that? That was such a wonderful time. And that is, I think, part of what might separate Indianapolis from some of the other venues. What is it about that state? And I obviously have had some insight working with Jerry Reynolds for so long and him being a dear friend of mine. So, you know, I've, I've heard the stories, but you said you've lived in other areas. You've been in Indianapolis since 88. What is it about that state? and basketball that that just makes it that hotbed in this country? I mean, Indiana and basketball are almost synonymous. I don't know, and to be totally candid, it's it's not a myth, not at all. That's not where I'm going. But there's a bit of a dichotomy there. For example, as popular as basketball is here, the Pacers are almost always in the bottom five in the NBA in attendance even though their ticket prices are annually among the lowest in the league. And generally speaking, they have competitive or better teams. You would think if this area was so vibrant and so opening toward embracing the sport that the NBA team would have greater success, but they don't. So there's a bit of a dichotomy here. Amateur basketball, high school especially, although not as much in recent years since they've gone to a class system. When I moved here, it was a one-class system. Everybody played for the same tournament. Even if you don't live here, I think many sports fans are aware of this because of the movie Hoosiers, which was based on an Indiana team back in the 50s. I think I'm going to say it was maybe the second or third year I was here, the early 90s, when it was still a one-class tournament. 
and there was a kid here named Damon Bailey who became famous through mm-hmm. John Feinstein's book written about Bob Knight. Bob was recruiting him since the eighth grade. By the time he was a senior in high school, he was Mr. Basketball. He was a cult figure, and he later spent a year with us at the Pacers. They filled the Hoosier Dome, which was the predecessor to uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, later known as the RCA Dome. They filled that place for the high school state championship game. We're talking, I forgot the number, it was forty or 50,000 people. And when I came here, high school basketball was enormously popular. It's not as popular now, but IU, even though they've fallen on by their standards, relatively hard times, is very popular. Butler has become big. Notre Dame, although it's closer to Chicago than Indianapolis, is still popular. Uh, Purdue has good teams. Basketball is very popular here, and that's something that's always puzzled me. As popular as it is here, why the Pacers don't do better? Great that's point. mystifying to me. I saw on your Twitter page the other day a photo of you and Nate McMillan, and as you and I speak, he has the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. I and many others around the league and from afar were very surprised when he was not retained as head coach of the Pacers, and obviously what transpired the last year was not good for that franchise that you work for. I say Nate McMillan, you say what? I, I would imagine you're not too surprised at his success, are you? No, not at all. And as you know, having worked in the league as long as you did, these situations are very, uh, very rarely cut and dried, black and white. They're, they're gray. Nate McMillan, even though they fired him last year, remains very highly thought of here. They didn't think he was a bad coach. They just thought it was time for a change because of the makeup of the roster and that Nate had been here for a while. Similar to any number of situations around the NBA, a lot of guys are let go, not because they're bad coaches or not even because they didn't succeed, but because management or ownership or both decides a new voice is needed. And in the case of Nate, one of the things that hurt him, his playoff record here was not good. They were 3-16 and 16 in the playoffs and they had been beaten in the first round the last several years consecutively, and then they were swept in the restart last year during the playoffs. So that worked against him. But nobody ever thought he wasn't a good coach or wasn't a good man. And I I think that if you were to even privately survey anybody who was involved in that decision, I, I think you'd find they're all rooting for him. Everybody liked him and respected him. Doing the games when Larry Bird was the coach and the success that the franchise had during that era. What was that period of time like from your perspective? Well, it was great. And it started a few years before that. When Larry Brown came in 93-94, the Pacers had never won a playoff series. And so when they did start to succeed, it was greeted here with great enthusiasm. Larry's first year, Larry Brown's first year. Never won a playoff series till he got here. Got the game seven of the conference finals the first year and then got to game seven of the conference finals the next year. The next two years were not good. The Pacers were beaten in the first round the year after that and then didn't make it in Larry's final year. So that cleared the way for a coaching change. Bird came, and in his three years, they were in the conference finals every time. and They made the NBA finals once, lost to the Lakers in 2000. So they were extremely successful. And he was so unusual in that, number one, when he came, he said, I am staying for three years. And that's it, because that's as long as I think a coach can engage a group of players. And his third year was the year they got to the NBA Finals and lost, and he just walked. No surprise, he said he was going to. And that's the other thing about Larry Bird that I really, really liked. Uh, He was hard to get to know because he's basically a private guy. 
But once you did get to know him, you appreciated it even more. And it's this. How many times in our lives, not just in the NBA, but in our lives in general, do you come across someone that you have to work with or get to work with on a daily basis who you know that every single thing that comes out of their mouth is the truth as they see it. They will never lie to you. They will never backstab you. They're just cut and dried. And if you don't like it too bad, but I will never deceive you. How many guys do you know like that? I can think of a handful in my time in the NBA and before that doing other stuff. And that's the thing that really resonated with me about Bird. And the players liked him because you know this, Grant. Players do not like to be fooled or lied or deceived to any more than any of the rest of us do. And everybody always knew where they stood with this guy because he was a straight shooter. And it seems like such a simple concept, but it's so rare. And I really admire that about him. You announced every game of Reggie Miller's career. And there's all types of conversations, greatest shooters of all time. I don't know how the hell to define that. I know what it is when I see it. But I don't think you can have that conversation without Reggie Miller being in the conversation. No. You know, and you, and you can parse the numbers any way you want. You look at, you look at certain numbers. And you say, well, his percentage was good, but not great. But you have to also consider the context of the era. Uh, He's still in the top. I should know this. I think he's still, is he not still third all time in total three-point field goals? I know he's in the top five. And he played in an era where the three was certainly a factor, but not like it is now. And the other thing about Reggie Miller that I always say that separated him from the pack, not that many guys. I'm talking about really good players. There aren't that many who are good who are even better in clutch situations, and he was one of the few. In my time, I would consider him to be probably the second-best clutch player of his generation behind Jordan. Now you could argue that and bring out stats, and, and maybe you'd be right and I'd be wrong, but that's how I see him, and that's, I think, what separates him from some of the others. He was among the best at what he did best, and that was shoot the three-pointer, which wasn't the only thing he did well, but it was his calling card. And then when the pressure situations came up, he almost always delivered. And that, I think, separated him from a lot of the players of his generation. So when I think of of the 18 years he spent here, I think of elite perimeter shooting. And by the way, a very astute, intelligent player. I have seen very few players who knew how to use screens and create space better than he did. And then his play in the clutch spoke for itself. So the two things that stood out to me with him were his perimeter shooting and his ability to deliver when they needed it in playoff situations. The malice at the palace, your courtside, you broke your back. While of that craziness was going on, were you in a lot of discomfort? Were you aware of the magnitude of what was going on around you? No, no. I mean, not literally, no. I was there, so I experienced it. But it was one of those surreal moments where you didn't really realize how chaotic it was, how potentially dangerous it was, how unusual it was, until you were able to get away and relive it. Now, to this day, I think I've maybe looked at that video twice. And you don't need to look at it to understand how it was. But at the time, the whole thing, from the time that the hard foul started things, until the time the game was not canceled, but just stopped. I think there were 30 or 40 seconds left in the game. It wasn't that long. And I remember there are certain things about that that I've shared before, but I don't think the general public knows. For example, you've been in the old Palace of Auburn Hills. You know the team bus parks inside the building and then goes up that ramp and out onto the street and then off to the airport. Well, 
first of all, they tried to arrest some of our players and probably would have succeeded had not Kevin O'Neill, who was an assistant coach at the time, talked them out of it. And then the police, now I didn't hear this, this is secondhand, but I don't doubt it. I'm told that the police told the bus driver, you'd be better off driving up that ramp with your lights off just wow. in case somebody's out there. Now, we made it to the airport without incident. And then the other thing I remember about it in the short term was the next night it was a back-to-back. So the next night the Pacers were home against Orlando. And as we got to the building that night for the game, we had to meet all of us who were involved with NBA security and answer questions, and they were deciding what to do. I think they eventually handed out the suspensions the next day, as I recall. But uh, the Pacers played Orlando that night. Six guys played, Hmm. and Orlando had a good team. Six guys played, and the Pacers lost, but they hung in there until the free end. And to this day, if you talk to any one of the six guys that played, they will, they will speak of it as though they remember almost every detail of it. Those are the things I remember about it. And then the other things, and I think this was caught on video, the fan that ran out onto the floor and slipped just as Jermaine O'Neal tried to deliver a punch. And had he not slipped, he might have been killed because he slid right under that punch. And there were so many things that happened that night. And it, it was just so surreal. It was, you didn't think about it while it was happening because you were reacting. When Ronnie went up in the stands and I tried to tackle him, that's how I broke my back. And the force of our collision, uh, I was wearing a headset, it knocked me to the floor. And I later saw a video from one of the video people, which I had no idea at the time. I hit the, the floor with cement behind where we broadcast in Detroit or Auburn Hills, which was a suburb. And I hit my back. That's how I fractured five vertebrae. But I saw in the video later that my head missed cement steps by inches. Wow. I could have been killed theoretically. But you don't think of any of that. We, we were knocked off the air, Grant, and so we plugged back in. Uh, and then we stayed on the air for another three or four minutes. And then finally uh, we said, you know what, that's enough. And so we threw it back to the studio. And they broadcast the rest of, of whatever was available off of the ESPN feed. The whole thing was something that I would not care to live through again. And it instigated a whole number of changes in the NBA, some of which I think were overreactionary, others of which were outstanding. But it was definitely a very critical event in the NBA, not just for that night, but for the way it impacted the way teams did business going forward. Were you aware of the severity of your injury at the time? And how long did it take before you were diagnosed? No, I wasn't aware. So... I'll tell you a story about that. You know, it was Ron Artest that ran over me. And I think our team plane was pretty normal in this regard. We didn't have assigned seats, but the players sat up front. The coaches sat in the middle. And the rest of us, I I call us the riffraff, we sat in the back, the broadcasters, the support staff. For whatever reason, Ronnie always sat back there with us. And so my back was starting to hurt, and we're on the plane, and the trainer says, we'll get it looked at. For now, let's let's put some ice on it. So I took off my shirt, and they strapped ice to me, and I'm walking up and down the aisle. And I had already had a conversation with Ronnie in the locker room because I I had also been cut in the forehead. And those forehead cuts, they're superficial, and, and they're almost never serious, but they bleed. So I was sitting in there bleeding, and the trainer was bandaging me up, and, <laughs> and Ronnie saw me, and he said, what happened to you? And I said, Ronnie, you ran over me. <laughs> oh, 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 he said, was that you? I'm sorry. 
said, oh, I'm on the plane. I got ice strapped to my back. I'm walking up and down the aisle, just, you know, trying to stay loose and so forth. And Ronnie sits back there with us. And I walked by and he said, Mark, what happened to you? And I said, Ronnie, we had this conversation <laughs> half an hour ago. <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> and, and, and for those, for those uh, I, I have spoken about this before, but I will say it again for your audience here. Um, that was obviously not one of Ron's better moments. Uh, and he had other issues. He left the team for a little while. He was eventually forced to trade. He was out there. But I will say this. He was one of the nicest men I ever met. Just a real sweetheart of a man. I enjoyed him as much as I ever enjoyed, any, enjoyed anyone else. A really good man who, who later on acknowledged. You remember when he won that championship with the Lakers and he thanked his therapist. He later acknowledged that he had some issues that he was trying to address. Well, he hadn't addressed them when he was here. And I think that was part of the reason. I'm not blaming the brawl on that, but the various incidents that impacted Ron and the Pacers over that period of time, I think, were probably uh, representative of that. But from my perspective, and I'm telling you, I'm talking about a guy that broke my back, not intentionally, but still. <laughs> I, hold, I hold him in really high regard, well, and I really like him, and I, he was one of the nicest guys we ever had. Well, uh, I would echo those sentiments because I got to know Ronnie very well when he played uh, in Sacramento. And I will tell you, I think he's one of the most misunderstood athletes that I've ever been around. And in 32 years, and you and I started, as you said, at the same year in 1988, he's truly one of my favorite guys that I've ever been around. He has a heart as big as the building that he yes. played in. His heart is just incredible. The things that he does for people out of just genuine care and love. I'm glad you said that because... When I think of Ron Artest, the first words or the first things to come to my mind is great human being. And yet people think about the palace brawl and everything else. L listen, if I really ever needed someone and I called Ron Artest, you know what? I know he would be there for me. I, he's a great guy. I could not agree more. And I don't know how he was when he got to Sacramento. I assume the same because it was right after he was here. But when he was here, he was supporting any number of family members. Yes. He was a, a very generous man a well-meaning guy who just had issues that when he was here, he was not able to successfully deal with. And I applaud and congratulate him for recognizing that mm -hmm. and eventually dealing with those issues. I, I, I could not speak more highly of the guy. I think he's a wonderful person. Do you like the way the game is played now? That's, for me, that's not a yes or no. I, I love the NBA, and I have no issue with the three-point shot being far more impactful than it was when we came into the league. But I, I think it may have gone a little bit too far, and that's just a personal opinion. Now, it's a business, and if it plays out over the next year or two where the three becomes even more impactful and crowds are up and TV ratings are up and the sport's more popular than ever, then so be it. I'm never going to say that I don't like the NBA. I love the NBA, but I'm becoming a little bit concerned with the impact that the three-point shot is having in part because I just enjoyed it when a three-point basket was a pretty big thing. And I'm not talking about when I came in or when they started. You Look back at the stats, Grant, when they started the three in the NBA. Uh, you had teams that made less than one a game. Now it's an entirely different story. I don't say better or worse. I just say different. I don't know how you would address it, even if you did decide that the three-point shot was becoming too much of a force in the game. But I would like to see it be a little less prevalent. But in general, I like the athleticism. I like the fact that our league is now 
in a situation where some of the teams that haven't had success are having success now. So a whole new generation of young players is being introduced to the casual fan. I think there are a lot of positive things about it, and I don't consider the three-point shot and the continued progression of it to be a negative per se, but I I think for me at least, and I don't know that I speak for anyone else, although I have heard others say this, I like it, although I have concerns about it. I think the three-point shot is fantastic, but I think maybe it's becoming a little bit too much a part of the game. Now, as time unfolds, if the three becomes even more prevalent and attendance is up and revenues are up and television ratings are up, that's good for the game, and I'm fine with it. But I liked it a little bit better, personally speaking, when the three-point shot was a little bit more of an event, similar to home runs in baseball. They're so common now that you almost don't even notice them. The three-point shot, I think, is a little bit analogous to that in our game. I applaud the skill. I mean, the shooters now are just spectacular. Uh, but to a degree, and this is just my age, I think, as much as anything, I lament the decreasing relevance of a low-post big man. Some of the things that were really important when I came into the NBA are less so or even not important in some cases. So the long answer to your question would be, as I just phrased it, the short answer would be, I'll never not like the NBA but I am personally becoming a little bit concerned that the three-point shot is becoming too dominant a factor. You just completed your 33rd year as voice of the Indiana Pacers. Other than a family member, is there one individual or one situation in your career that led you to where you are now? Do you look back and go, man, if it weren't for that, I don't know if I ever would have been a big league announcer. Oh, there's a million of them. And you know this uh, from your own career. There are so many twists and turns. And you think back to when I was younger, had I done A, it's a domino thing. If you made one left turn earlier in your career instead of a right-hand turn, who knows where the road leads. So there are many of those. But if I, if I were to cite one, I will, I will tell you a story. Uh, and this goes back oh, almost 40 years to when I was just starting. I wanted to be a big league baseball announcer. That's why I got in. And I was fortunate when I was young. I had some really good jobs. I was doing some Big Ten stuff when I was in my early 20s. But I was still looking for baseball jobs. And a job opened in Columbus, Ohio, that involved uh, covering Ohio State football and basketball and being the play-by-play guy for the uh, Columbus Clippers. And I applied for it. Never heard anything. Meanwhile, the weeks go by. I accept a job in Iowa uh, doing some stuff with the University of Iowa and being a sports director at a radio station down there. Two days later, I get a call from Columbus, uh, and they ask me if I'm still interested. Would I like to interview? Well, yeah, I'm still interested, but I've accepted another job. No contract involved. I called my dad, who was in broadcasting, and he gave me some advice that might seem counterintuitive, and I and I ended up not taking it. I told my dad the situation just as I told you, mm-hmm. and he said, here's the deal about our business. Do what's best for you. If you have to back out of Iowa because you want Columbus, then do it. I just I just couldn't bring myself to doing it. And I never regretted it. My career continued to take off, and I did well at an early age, and I was very fortunate. But had I not, I might regret it. The guy who took the job was a guy named Rick Riz, who then went on to be the voice of the Seattle Mariners for over 30 years. Doesn't mean I'd be the voice of the Seattle Mariners. Not at all. But you can see how you might want now, my career took off, and I did well, and I don't regret it. But, uh, you know, I still – regret's too strong, Brad. I still sure. 
wish I'd had a chance to do baseball. And every once in a while, I've, I've done something. I, I took a summer back in the early O's and went out and did some uh, rookie league baseball in Billings, Montana. I've gone to the Cape Cod League, which is a summer college league, and I did some games there and mentored some of the younger intern broadcasters. So I've gotten a taste of baseball. I've done some work here with the AAA team in Indianapolis. But I've never done a full season of big league baseball. It's not a regret. That would be far too extreme. But I, I wonder sometimes that I've taken a left turn instead of a right if I would have ended up in the big leagues. Speaking of a left turn rather than a right, for those of us that have not been to the Indy 500 and have not been to Indiana and experienced that, the month of May in Indiana is like what? <laughs> well, first of all, very nice segue with the left turn. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you like don't want to make you don't want to make too many right turns when you're at the Indy 500. <laughs> no, no, that would not go well. Uh, I, I I will tell you this about the Indianapolis 500. And I say this as someone who didn't grow up here, uh, was never a race fan and still am not. I went to the race the first summer I lived here, which would have been the summer of night or not summer, but it's May, the first off season sure. I was here uh, in 1989 because I wanted to experience it. I have been to any number of sporting events. I've been to a Super Bowl. I've been to a Stanley Cup Finals. I've broadcast an NBA Finals. I've, I've seen stuff. I will tell you this. The race itself did not interest me. I left halfway through it. But the pageantry, the hour or so that leads up to the race, is magnificent. It's one of the coolest things I've ever been to in person. And if you're on the fence about coming to the 500, I would say even if you're not a race fan, that's worth coming for. It is just wonderful. Uh, tradition is just seeping through every aspect of it. Uh, and I'm not a race guy. Wasn't then, am not now, couldn't name two racers. That pageantry leading up to the start of that race is absolutely magnificent. Well, I was uh, talking with Gary Gerald, and I have done this for many, many times. And you and I have uh, been blessed as anyone in this business to do some pretty neat things. But I was talking with G-Man when he was on my podcast recently. I still think to this day he had one of the coolest experiences working for ABC and covering the Indy 500. He was in the pace car leading the field of 33 in the convertible with Mario Andretti driving. And there's G-Man doing a live report from the pace car oh. leading the field. That doesn't, doesn't get much better than that, does it? I don't know if it gets much. I don't know if it can get much better than that. What would be better than that? What would be better than that? Right. Like, I mean, you know, maybe. Maybe if maybe if they uh, you know let you flip the coin at the Super Bowl or you know but still <laughs> fighting in that pace car with a with a racing legend and broadcasting live uh, that would be hard. Well, I got to tell you, man, it's great getting caught up with you. It's so much fun to uh, reminisce. Uh, thank you so much, man. I wish you nothing but continued success. Enjoy your off season, and uh, I'll have you on again, man. I would look forward to that. It's always a pleasure, man. Thanks. It is now time for our Q&A, thanks to CrowdUltra. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It takes a minute to sign up, and maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Tony wants to know, do you agree with Charles Barkley saying Westbrook and Giannis play harder than anybody else in the NBA? No, I do not agree with that. Do they play hard? Yes. Harder than anyone else in the NBA? The, the problem with that comment is that that insinuates that there are only two players in the entire league that go full tilt. That's not true. No, I don't agree with that at all. Ben wants to know, were steroids or foreign substances 
worse for baseball? It's a fabulous question. When you say worse for baseball, the reality is that steroids actually help baseball because people love the home run contest and everything else. But we know how bad it was for baseball in retrospect, right? You understand where I'm coming from with this. Foreign substances is also a form of cheating, but with pitchers using foreign substances, it increases the spin rate, which makes it harder, more difficult to put the ball in play. So that's really, really bad for baseball. So again, it's a fabulous question. But when you say worse for baseball, the steroid era was actually great for baseball. Some would say that it was as good of a time as they can remember. Was it cheating? Yes. Was it a bad look for the game? Yes. Was it bad that Bud Selig and the managers knew what was going on and they turned their head the other way? Yes. But steroids, from a fan's perspective, wasn't bad for baseball. You had McGuire, you had Sosa, you had Bonds, you had... I mean, think about that era. Uh, No, wasn't bad for baseball at all. All right, let's move on. Sean wants to know, was T.O. or Randy Moss a better wide receiver? I'm going to stick strictly to football, all right? And by that, I mean, you know, Terrell Owens, to me, was a headache everywhere he was. And, And Randy Moss, again... There were a lot of things I can say about Randy Moss that were, I'll never forget how he quit on the Raiders. That that was as bad as anything I'd ever seen. He just flat out quit. He was terrible. Then he goes to New England. And Randy Moss also was not a guy that loved going across the middle. Uh, T.O., to me, was a do-everything wide receiver. So if you're asking me based on that, I'm probably going to say Owens because I like the way that he played the entire field. It's a good question, though. Very good question. All right, let's move on. Brandon wants to know, are there any teams that would be better off trading their lottery pick? I I can't answer that. I mean, you have to understand that when you have a lottery pick, it's a piece of paper with a number on it until you get that player. And if you don't take the right player, i.e. the Kings with Marvin Bagley, it doesn't really matter if you have the number two pick in the draft. So if you were asking me if I had a team that was not a playoff team, but had some good pieces, and I had a lottery pick, personally, I would look to move that pick to get a guy that I already know is a good player in the league as opposed to a potential pick of an unknown. Now, if I had the number one pick, I probably wouldn't do that. But if I had a lottery pick that was, you know, pretty attractive, like the Kings, do the Kings really need another 19-year-old kid on their team? No. No, they don't, in my opinion. Greg wants to know, do the Hawks stand a chance after Trey Young's uh, ankle injury, which, you know, we know is a a sprain. I didn't like their chances before the series began, but I got to tell you, I mean, think about what they did, you know, before they lost game three and blew the lead. 
they're not as good as Milwaukee, but, you know, Milwaukee still has, again, you know, the Bucks. you know, in that game three, you know, they had to really turn it on at the end. Do they have a chance? Yeah, I'd say they have a chance. I mean, I don't think it's 50-50. I don't expect them to win. But yeah, Jacob wants to know, Ty Lue says it's very doable to come back and beat the Suns. Do you agree? Well, I would say this, not just about, you know, the Clippers. It takes four wins. You know, you don't win a series when you have three wins. So yes, of course it's, a, it's, it's doable. Now, as we listen to the podcast, you know, it may already have been decided, but the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, of course it's doable. Yes. Look at what the Clippers did in this playoffs already. They won four in a row against the Jazz, didn't they? All right, let's move on to some other questions. Lucas wants to know what type of players should the Warriors look for in the draft? You know, to me, based on where they're selecting, I just think you take the best available player. You know, you would say, well, gee, would you take the best available player even if that player were a point guard? Yeah, I would. Yes, I would. Matt wants to know what's your take on the basketball rumor that Ben Simmons could be traded to the Kings for Buddy Bagley and the number nine pick. I wouldn't want Ben Simmons. Why do you want Ben Simmons for? Seriously. Why do you want Ben Simmons? You want to, if you don't shoot well and you can't shoot, you can't play in the NBA to a, a level of productivity when you really need that player. End of games, big games. Ben Simmons can't shoot. You want a guy on your team that plays in this day and age of the NBA that can't shoot? I wouldn't make that deal. I wouldn't even think about making that deal. Not at all. Neil wants to know, do you think the refs have been bad during the NHL playoffs? I don't think it's been their best postseason. I don't know if I would say they've been bad. You know, I think it's true of all sports. It's just a brutal sport to officiate. Jason wants to know, is Billups a good fit for Lillard? Stay tuned for my rant. I think Billups would be very good for Lillard, but I thought Terry Stotts was very good for Lillard. Zach wants to know, are Ben Simmons shooting problems mental? Well, no question, part of it is mental, but he also has a terrible stroke. So I think they go hand in hand. Brad wants to know, what type of music do you listen to? I listen to all types of music for the most part. I love soft jazz or smooth jazz. But I'll go from listening to that to, you know, Doobie Brothers. Uh, I can go on and on, but I like a lot of music from a lot of different eras. I love Frank Sinatra. You know, again, I love smooth jazz. I probably listen to smooth jazz more than any other genre of music, but I like all kinds of music. I really do. Michael wants to know, how does the Carlisle hiring impact Indiana's title chances. Well, I, I, first of all, I wouldn't put title in there just yet, all right? I mean, they're coming off a terrible year. The one thing we do know, all right, we do know about Rick Carlisle. The guy's a hell of a coach, all right? Did a great job in Detroit, first time around in Indiana, won a championship in Dallas. I made this comment, and I've been all over Rick Carlisle this year for his idiotic, uh, terrible comment about the Atlanta Insanes back on March 1st. I said, I said I would hire that guy. He'd be the first guy I would hire. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Rick Carlisle as a coach. 
But title chances, let's uh, let's hold our horses for just a little bit. Hey, again, thanks to everyone. Go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up, and ask me a question. It's time for Rant's Rant. Today's Rant's brought to you by the Home Theater Company, audio, video, and home theater. Just go online, hometheatercompany.com. Only in America and only in 2021 can this be a story. On Sunday, Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, who apparently is very close to Damian Lillard, has talked about a story involving the hiring of Chauncey Billups. Because Lillard has been receiving a lot of criticism on social media, and according to Haynes, it's due to Billups being on the list of possible head coaches for Damian Lillard, all right? Basically, people think that Lillard initiated the hiring of Billups, according to Chris Haynes. Now, we know that Lillard went on social media and said he really wanted Jason Kidd, and then shortly thereafter, Kidd said he's removing his name from the possible coaching search in Portland. According to Haynes, now this is unbelievable, this nonsense could push Lillard out the door. The exact words in Yahoo Sports from Chris Haynes, all right? Now, this story, again, is only a story that is relevant, in my opinion, in this day and age. On Saturday, in a response critical of him for the hiring of Billups, Lillard said he was not aware of the sexual assault allegations from 1997. I'm reading this verbatim from Chris Haynes. Billups, then a member of the Boston Celtics, and teammate Ron Mercer were accused by a woman of sexual misconduct at the home of former Boston forward Antoine Walker. Here's what Damian Lillard wrote. Really? I was asked what coaches I like of the names I heard, and I named them. Sorry. I wasn't aware of their history. I didn't read the news when I was seven or eight years old. I don't support those things. But if this is the route you all want to come at me, say less. Just for the record, no criminal charges were filed. Mercer and Billups settled a civil lawsuit with the accuser for an undisclosed sum three years later. Well, let me ask you this. You remember a guy by the name of Ray Lewis? one of the best middle linebackers in the history of the National Football League? Do you remember the murder case that he was involved in? Where to this day, they still have not found the white suit that he was wearing the night of that tragic event. Ray Lewis pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice. Ray Lewis settled a civil suit to the victim's family. What happened to Ray Lewis? Nothing. He went on and became a prominent TV figure with ESPN and others. So Chauncey Billups, back in, what was that? What did I say, 20 years ago? Never charged, all right? No criminal charges were ever filed. None. Back in 1997. And now we're going to kill Damian Lillard Because he endorsed the hiring of Billups? Really? 
You're coming at Lillard for that? Unbelievable. And the point is by Haynes that they may that may force Lillard out the door because the Knicks really want Lillard, and according to Haynes, they're willing to give up three first-round picks. Well, first of all, it really doesn't matter where you would go to because in this day and age, whether you play in Portland, Oregon, or the number one media market in the world, New York, people are going to come at you because they got nothing else better to do. As if Damian Lillard is endorsing, okay, as if, as if he is endorsing sexual misconduct, sexual assault. I mean, how stupid are people? Seriously, really? Wake the hell up. Again, as Phillips said, he was seven or eight, or excuse me, as Lillard said, he was seven or eight years old. This is an absolute non-story. Get off Damian Lillard's case. Wake the hell up and get a freaking life. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Do me a favor if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. Do me a favor. would really mean a lot to me. Just take the time and rate the podcast. Thank you very much. And don't forget to check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. Hey, make it a great day. And again, really appreciate your support and listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.